This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, thank you so much for joining us again for I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And these are the words of Scripture penned by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, as we all know. But are born-again Christians today becoming ashamed of the gospel? The American Culture and Faith Institute recently released some very stunning research showing that Christians are not spreading the gospel to other people around them. In fact, only 39 percent of born-again Christians in America even say they believe they should share the gospel with others, which I find absolutely mind-boggling, especially when the same research indicated that 50% of all born-again Christians say that they believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of the influence of a close personal friend or a relative. What is going on and how is this affecting the church and the future of Christianity? Well, we're going to get some thoughts on it all now from John Sorensen, president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International and host of the radio program Share Life Today. And John, what an honor to welcome you back. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. And Jana, thank you very much for having me. Always great to talk to you, John. And you were the man to come to, I think, on this one. I was blown away by this. What do you make of these statistics? Only 39% of born-again Christians think they should share the gospel. What is going on here? Yeah, you know, and this is the first poll that I've seen in an awful long time where that number has gone the direction it has. It's actually been moving more and more as you look over the last 10 years, like Christians were were saying they were agreeing more and more that they ought to. Now, what was stunning in those other uh, surveys is that even though that they said that they ought to or they believed they should, it was always 61, 70, 75, I've seen them as high as 90, that never did. Even though they said they should, they didn't. This is the first survey where, I don't know, something is going on where people are starting to, to change their mind about that, even though... Uh, what what's not changed is the not doing it part what's changed is the how do i feel about the fact that i'm not doing it part right which is a big difference and i don't understand it from the standpoint of if you're a born-again christian and you believe in the bible is the word of god how in the world do you get past all of the clear admonitions in scripture that we are to preach the gospel jesus himself and the great commission and paul and throughout scripture this is we have a missionary god and yet he can produce people who say we don't have to be missionaries? That makes no sense to me. Well, and the, but these same surveys are showing that people really aren't reading the Bible, and they're not, uh, you know, they'll give, again, lip service to the idea that it's a good thing to read the Bible, but don't do it. And, and, and what they see when they go to church, and, they, and I think this is why probably one of the most stunning uh, studies I saw was about 10 years ago when it talked about um, the authenticity of the pastor and what people saw when they were at church. And, and now the studies I'm seeing today where, where they're talking about the fact that kids need to see this at home lived out by their parents. And if they, because there's this bit that they get that even though they've heard it and even though they believe it, they don't see anybody do it. And as long as they don't, then they come to this conclusion, well, 
then I guess it's okay. You know, I mean, I know we say we should, and we, we, we all really get that. But, and, and Janet, you know, I've done an awful lot of thinking as to the why. Why would it be that we would come to that conclusion? And, and I think that the number one reason is that we really don't believe that God is, in fact, working in people's lives today. I mean, literally all over the world, in your very city, there are people that God is working in their hearts today, drawing them to himself. And if we would only join him in what it is that he's doing, we would see tremendous fruit. But I don't know that we necessarily believe that today. I think that we've been We've been kind of sold a, a, a bill of goods here that there are things that have to happen that make people come to Christ that, that, are, that are really outside of God's purview. And, and so uh, we, we, we get in our head that we've got to do this or we've got to do that or these, these five things have to happen before. And so we've gotten this really strange idea, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in our head as to how do people actually come to Christ. Now, the Bible is very specific. It happens because somebody preaches somebody, and when we say preach, we don't mean like standing up on, on Sunday morning and preaching a sermon, but somebody speaks the gospel. They speak the truth of the gospel. And when that happens, some people hear, and, and the some that hear, some believe. And this is what we see experientially all over the world. It's just sad. Like I say, I think we've lost the view of how that kind of thing occurs today. Right. I think you're absolutely right. I think we really don't believe that God is working in people's lives and that people can be saved. But I also wonder the extent to which, I hate to even raise this issue, but we have to talk about this. Do we really believe that people are lost without Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that people will go to hell apart from Jesus Christ? How much of it do you think is that? No, I absolutely agree. In fact, I would have said it had I identified four or five key things, that would have been number two, is that we're really, um, we're really not convinced that there's this place called hell and that people are actually going there except through the, the gospel. We've become either universalists or hyper-Calvinists. Yeah. You know, one side of that where we say it doesn't really matter how, how, what we do, and we're not sure that, it, that, that it's real anyway. And because, you know, one, th- one time Dr. Kennedy made a statement to me. Dr. Kennedy was the guy who, who founded Evangelism Explosion like 60 years ago. And, and he made this statement. He said, when I asked the question to him, why don't more pastors witness? And, I mean, even in this study that you're referring to, there was a shocking number of pastors that don't uh, take the time to do that. And, and he said this. He said, John, if God were to dip all pastors in hell for a fraction of a second, and then he were to grab them up and, you know, while their clothes are smoking and the, the, the rubber on the bottom of their shoes are melting off on the floor, he said, I think one thing that would happen would be their commitment to the Great Commission would dramatically increase. Yes. And, and I think that's the truth, is that we, if we really believed that there was a heaven, that there was a hell, and that there's a way... That that, they, that that can change in a person's life, then I think that our commitment would change. Uh, there's a couple more reasons I'd mention. One of them is that I don't really think people feel like they can, even if they do believe it all, and they understand that there is a heaven, there is a hell, that the way that their people are saved are through the proclamation of the gospel, they still believe that they would do a really bad job of it, and they'd mess it up. And, and the people they would try to do it with would actually end up in a worse spot than had they just kept their mouth shut. And I mean a lot of Christians who feel that way. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the biggest reason is just because their people are afraid. They just don't uh, 
they don't know how that conversation is going to go. They're afraid if they start it, how it's going to end badly. Um, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to embarrass Jesus. And so for lots of reasons, they just won't even uh, start the conversation. Th- those are four that we've mentioned. And, and uh, But, you know, I do think it's interesting in this poll that, that the attitude toward it is shifting. And I, and I don't know what that means yet, Janet. I, I'm really having to do a lot of thinking based upon this poll um, whether Christians believe we shouldn't do it now or not. Right. John, do you think that for the most part, evangelical churches and evangelical pastors are doing an adequate job equipping the saints for the work of evangelism? Well, it's interesting. I've seen a number of polls, and in, in, in fact, it was alluded to in this one that you've mentioned, and that, that almost every church does what they consider to be some equipping or training in that area but I would tell you this, Janet, is I meet Christians, and I meet, mil- you know, I don't know, millions. I meet thousands and thousands, and, of course, our ministry is involved with millions around the world. I think as a typical rule, most Christians feel underprepared for that particular area of, of Christian endeavor. And here's the cool thing, is that when, and, and I, I, I hope every listener listening uh, hears this, not, not only that we're being negative because we're not, the truth is, is that you can do it, and the truth is, is that it becomes one of the most exciting things that anybody ever gets involved in. Yes. Be just as surely as we're saying negative things, there are just as rich positive things if, if and when Christians actually get engaged and start to do it. And, and so I think the answer to your question is no. I think most Christians don't feel prepared. I think most churches believe they're doing something to try to prepare them. But I don't think most Christians are believing that that actually has equipped them to start a conversation. I think you're absolutely right, John, which is why we're going to solicit your help when we come back on Janet Mefford today. My guest, John Sorensen, president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International. We'll come right back. Don't go away. This is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with Bible League International on Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Our shared goal is to send 1,200 Bibles from the Janet Mefford listening family to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Asia. In this region of the world, Bibles are scarce for many reasons, including the remoteness of where people live. In the Philippines, church planters and evangelists trained by using resources from Bible League International travel many hours by car, boat, and by foot to lead Bible studies in remote places of the country. Let's send them the Bibles they need in order to share Christ and to see lives transformed for His glory. You can join other Janet Mefford listeners by sending a Bible for $5 or $15 for $75. Just call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. And God bless you for caring. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford today. He that winneth souls is wise. Do we really believe that anymore? Well, the American Culture and Faith Institute recently came out with some very depressing research. In my opinion, only 39% of born-again Christians in the United States say they believe they should share the gospel with others. I don't know what Bible they're reading or what Bible they're not reading, but they need to go back to the Word of God and understand we do have a missionary God and we are to go out and spread the gospel. And who better to comment on all this than John Sorensen president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International and host of the radio program Share Life Today. John, how do we create an urgency to reach the lost? I think this is something that's so missing. When I think about what the Bible says about he who when his souls is wise, and there was this emphasis, I think in my younger days, I'd hear more about soul winning and going door to door and evangelizing and starting conversations. And there was this excitement among a lot of Christians, which seems to have in many circles somewhat dissipated. What do you say about creating that kind of urgency that people really are lost? We need to get to work, church. Yeah, amen. And and you know what? I think Janet and and uh, I don't want this to sound like I'm being too harsh, but I I think it comes down to the difference between people who do and don't. Yeah. You know, most of the people who don't feel that urgency and who don't seem to think that that it's 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 critical that we do it in these days are the ones that aren't doing it. And what I find is is that when people start to do it, there's a couple things that happen. They experience the Holy Spirit work through them in a whole new way. And when we start to feel that dimension of spiritual life happening in us, um, it, it awakens something in us as well. It, it awakens, that's an absolutely perfect word you've used, an urgency that we need to do it now. When we start to see God work through us and we start to see people get saved around us, I, I, can ta- I could take you into the church that, that I go to in Asheville here, and we started doing EE a couple, three years ago, and we've trained over 300 people at this point. And if you were to interview those people person to person, one thing that you're going to find is that their attitude about the Great Commission has changed, and their excitement about doing it is altogether different. Right. There, there were people that only came because their spouse made them come. I mean, they came in with their heels in the ground. I mean, they came in kicking and screaming. And yet those have become some of the most faithful people that show up every week and go out and do, do evangelism because they've gotten what you've just said. And that's the perfect word, an urgency for the fact that this needs to happen. And they've, they've, they've become convinced that God actually will use them if they'll only go. And I guess that's the piece I think that we've got to become convinced of, is that this gospel is real. It really does seek and save that which is lost. And, and it's the power of God. It really is. It changes people's lives. And you really, frankly, don't have to be the best witness that's ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, you don't have to be the Apostle Paul, and you don't have to be your pastor. 
God will use you as you are as you get as you start to get in, engaged in in, in in you know even the flaws that we he'll use those too right. and, and he'll be, it'll be part of, of seeing the gospel go forward in your your towns. It's so it was, true. Uh, just just a just a brag on this particular church that I have the privilege of going to at the moment. There was also another survey done just really in the last six months that talked about the fact that we're we're down to and, and Janet, this is a shocking number. We're down to where it takes fifty people for every one person that comes to Christ in in most of our evangelical denominations in the United States. That means if your church has fifty people in it, in it it'll on average, lead one person to Christ this year. Wow. If you have 100, two people, you know, 200, four people, that kind of a thing. Well, that is such a shocking difference from even 50 years ago. I mean, it's it's stunning. And yet we were we were doing a little thinking, and again, I'm not bragging. This is not us. This is just the gospel. At this church that, that I'm going to, it's four to one right now. And the reason it's four to one is because we're going out every week sharing Jesus, and we absolutely believe that every person in our county needs to hear the gospel Love of Jesus it. Christ. And now, not everybody receives it. It's not always, but, but then again, way more than what we believe do. And I think that's what's exciting. Well, it is. And it's, it's an important reminder for the rest of us who may not be doing the same things in our own churches. And you know, what strikes me about this American Culture and Faith Institute research, John, that we've been discussing, is how George Barna, who conducted this research, emphasize that the future of Christianity is really at stake here because he's noting some of these trends of how we're not seeing the numbers of people coming to the Lord the way we have in the past. He notes that the the greatest number of people who are coming to the Lord are children under the age of 18, which is a whole nother subject. But what about the future? I mean, we seem to sometimes get a little complacent and think, well, there's always been many churches in my town. They'll always be full. The churches will not will not close. The Lord will keep them going. I mean, the assumptions that we have that we don't have a role to play in what the Lord is doing. How do you assess that? Well, and, and you just have to get on an airplane and, and travel to some of these places where Christianity has been allowed to become uh, irrelevant to the society and churches are museums they're monuments they're you know there's there's not even anybody setting in the the, the churches at all yeah. on a sunday morning and then like you Europe. wonder what impact that has on a culture and on and certainly for eternity and so yeah i think that you know what what god has done in here in america has been so special and that we would be silly to let it go and to imagine you know the, the key is is that god doesn't have any grandchildren he has only children and Amen. so it, that is a very alarming point of this survey is that we're seeing fewer and fewer young people willing to identify as born again so that was one of the pieces that he came across and and yet as you said typically we've seen the greatest fruit amongst young people in the past and so what does that mean and 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 here's the truth and this is this is what i think we have to counter there was one statement that he made in it that was so super poignant and that was that um, you know, with respect to children, that if a child doesn't run into somebody that's a Christian, somehow there's very little in our culture today that would ever point them toward toward mm-hmm. God. It could come to the point where we'd have a whole generation of children in America that have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I know that sounds funny, and it sounds hard for us to imagine, but this is the road that we're on, and this is what one of the things that he pointed out. And I think it should just renew our commitment to get out there and to, to share. And, 
And, you know, and, and while we see great success with, with children, we also, frankly, see great success with adults as well. And, and so I would just encourage that everybody needs to hear the gospel and, you know, let the gospel do what it's going to do in their life. And, you know, that's the piece we can't control. That's yep. the piece only God can do. That's right. But what we can do as Christians is make sure that they at least had a chance to hear. I love that. And I know, John, we just have a few minutes left, but talk a little bit, if you would, about what Evangelism Explosion does in the way of training people to learn how to evangelize and some of the opportunities people can avail themselves of at their own churches. If they're hearing this and saying, you're right, we need to be better at soul winning and get out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who haven't heard. I feel a little weak in this area. John Sorensen, what do I do? What would you tell those people? Well, and we would just be excited about uh, entertaining your call. Hey, call us, and we'll we'll talk to you about how we can help. Because we get that's what we get goosebumps over equipping and training Christians to be witnesses for Christ and to to help churches be successful. One thing that you'd note right away about EE is we're not a parachurch organization in the sense that we work around the church. We work in and through local churches and helping them be successful at witnessing for Jesus Christ in these days. And so what we would do is come into your church, do a workshop on a Saturday for as many people as would like to come out. It'll be a great start. You'll, you'll end up with an easy-to-learn, hard-to-forget way of, of, of speaking the gospel to a friend, to a neighbor, to a loved one, a work associate, and yes, even strangers that we bump into as we go through life. And, and so, you know, we'd be thrilled to do that. All you need to do is contact us, you know, look at our website. We, we're just putting up a brand new website called Equip America, Great. where we're really taking a focus on helping churches in America to start to equip their people. So check that website out, equipamerica.org, and you'll find uh, the first one of these workshops we're going to do in Oklahoma City just in, a, I think, next month. And then we're going to start doing these in, in really every state in the United States over the coming years. And so if your church would be interested in doing that, in equipping their people, then uh, we would be super thrilled about helping you do that. Yeah, I love it. And I love that you guys are there and doing what you're doing to remind us of the important work that we have to do as Christians in getting Jesus' great commission and following Jesus' great commission to preach to all the world the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And what would you say to somebody who says, well, you know, John, I just want to start a simple conversation. I know you and I have talked before about some of the great tips that you offer on how to evangelize but if you could give one tip on starting a conversation with somebody you know to share Jesus, what would that be? Well, I tell you what, right now, if, this, if we're talking in the time context we are right now of the holidays and, and there's so many opportunities for conversations like this, I had a lady ask me that very question at church uh, with a family member, and I said this, please say this to your son. Say, son... If you want to give me a present this year, here's the best present you can give me. It's a half an hour of your time over some tea where you'll be quiet and listen to what I have to say because it would absolutely break my heart if something happened to me and I'm telling you one day something is going to happen to me or something happened to you and I wouldn't have had this opportunity to share with you the most important thing in my life. And so please, if you don't give me any other gift than 30 minutes of letting me share with you why this is so critical, please let me do that. I honestly can't imagine a young person saying no to that. Now, there may be an instance of that, and I feel horrible about that, but I think for the most part, most people will say, 
Yes, okay, please, I'll do that. And you'll get an opportunity to share the truth of Jesus, who he is and what he did, and, and, and believe that God is, meant what he said when he said, it is in fact the power of God to salvation. And so and pray like crazy that it will have that impact. Oh, that's terrific. I love that. And again, I just really appreciate so much the work of Evangelism Explosion International. Evangelismexplosion.org is their website, by the way. And the great John Sorensen spending time with us. John, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for joining well, us. Thank you, Janet. It was so much fun. Thank you. Always great to have you. God bless you. And we'll be back on Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford Today. In Revelation chapter 3, we see the Lord's warning to the church in Laodicea. And the Lord says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And these are very terrifying words for us to consider. But there's little doubt that this describes much of the church of Jesus Christ today in the West, where we have lost our hold on the holiness and grandeur of God, often discarding the true God of Scripture and reducing him to a weightless, ineffectual deity. And we are very, very lukewarm. And yet, Scripture reveals to us just how wrong this thinking is. How can we recover authentic Christianity in an age like ours? We're going to talk it over today with Reverend Melvin Tinker, who is Senior Minister of St. John's Church, Newland Hall in the UK. And today we'll be talking about his book, A Lost God in a Lost World. Reverend Tinker, it's wonderful to have you here. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Janet, and it's a delight to be with you today. Well, it's a delight to have you. You say that this Laodicean nominalism is rife on both sides of the Atlantic. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand what we mean by uh, Laodicean nominalism. Uh, When uh, the Lord Jesus uh, speaks of Laodicea being uh, neither hot nor cold, uh, and he speaks about it being lukewarm, we tend to think, well, that's a sort of spiritual temperature. Uh, that he would rather have us either hot for Christ or cold, which seems rather strange. But when you understand a little bit about the background, that really what he's talking about is that Laodicea has become like the town, uh, the church in Laodicea has become like the town in which it's situated. Mm. And it's all to do with the piping system, believe it or not, because in that uh, particular location, there were two other New Testament churches. One was Colossae, where you got this fantastic cold water, which was delightful, a bit further down, you had Hierapolis, which had this hot spa and spring, which was great and useful. But Laodicea's uh, water was absolutely dreadful because it's all contaminated. And so Jesus is saying, look, uh, I wish you were like Colossae, had the wa- like the water there, cold and useful. I wish you were like uh, in Hierapolis, where you've got water which is hot and useful. But you're, you as a church, you're just like the water you have to drink. It's disgusting, mm-hmm. and I'm going to th- spew you out of my mouth. In other words, what he's saying is actually you're useless. Right. It seems to me that that's part of the problem. It's not simply a spiritual temperature. It's just that 
many churches have lost the vision of God, the grip on the gospel, and have adopted worldly uh, means uh, in order to, if you like, pull in the uh, pull in the uh, audience, the punters. Right. Well, that explanation. Yeah, we, need get, uh, uh, we need to get back to having a grand vision of God and uh, real confidence again in the in the power of the gospel. Absolutely. And that explanation that you offer is so insightful because it really points out what our problem is as well, which is often being like the town in which we're situated. How do you think we got here? I know there are many, many streams of thought that have entered in, you know, from the Enlightenment and so forth. But how do you believe it is that the Western Church has become like Laodicea? Well, um, in fact, I was, I, I was listening to your program uh, just before I came on air with you, uh, with your interview with Steve Camp, which I, I very much enjoyed. Oh, thank you. Uh, where uh, mention was made of uh, secularism and sacred mentality and, and people trying to push Christianity out of the public square. I think it's important to understand that um, there's a difference between secularism and secularization. Now, secularism is a philosophy and um, can be linked to a, a French guy called Auguste Comte uh, going back to the end of the uh, 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. And basically he was saying, look, uh, let's get real. There, there really is no God. And what we've got to do is to move on from what he called the theological stage of society, which um, he called the fictitious stage, onto the scientific stage. And as we progress through uh, modern technology and our, our knowledge of science, we'll leave religion behind. Mm. And so this process is this process that, that that's that, that's the philosophy of, of, of secularism, this right. mentality. There's no God, and we've got to push out at those ideas. Secularism, uh, secularization rather, is in fact a process, and it, it's a it's a sophisticated process. But basically, it involves two things. Uh, one is what we call rationalization, and that is that religious uh, ideas and religious tradition, uh, religious ideas become less and less meaningful, and religious traditions become more and more marginal. Mm. So yeah. in our case, Christianity gets pushed further and further to the margins of society. And then linked in with this is this idea uh, what's called disenchantment. The idea that really there is no mis- there's nothing sort of magical or wondrous in life anymore. We can explain everything in terms of science and its component parts. But the thing is, it seems to me that that's sort of come into the church. You, you get it in two forms. You got it in terms of extreme liberalism. You get it especially over with you guys. Right, um, right. You know, the Episcopal Church. Yes. Um, where... Basically, it, you know, you, you have a form of atheism, but using religious language, but there's no real belief in the Bible or God or the miraculous. We can have it in a more subtle way, I think, whereby even evangelical churches um, can adopt a secularist mentality. That is, we are the ones who can do it all. So with the right ingenuity, with the right technique, with the right um, organization, we can make things happen. Mm. Someone once uh, commented that in some of our churches, even those who call themselves evangelical, you could take away the Holy Spirit and 90% of what's going on will continue to, to, to go on. Right. So God, as it were, has been, even in evangelical churches, even though they can tick the boxes, make the declaration of faith, in practice, uh, God's almost in irrelevance because the center, the focus is upon us, 
what we can do entertaining us, rather than, again, the grandeur of God, holiness of God, and, and the power of the gospel. Right. Oh, you're so on target with that. And and I noticed that uh, Dr. David Wells had written the foreword to your book, whom I also love, and I have read all of his books. And he picks up, right, he picks up on this theme of God having a weightlessness, which I think is That's one right. of the, yeah, the one of the best ways to describe it, as you talk about in your book, the fact that God may exist and God may have a Bible that we adhere to, at least in theory, or at least, you know, yes, okay, I believe it, but he is weightless. He does not have that holy grandeur that takes hold of our lives and grips us. And that is what, I mean, how are you to be effective as, as the church if you are not gripped by the weight and the grandeur of God? Exactly, you can't be. And of course, we've got to bear in mind that the, the, the alternative to this is idolatry. Because the, the, the word for the glory of God uh, in, in, in Hebrew, kabol, uh, uh, has at root weight, weightiness, whereas the opposite, the, 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 the root for the uh, Hebrew word for, for idol, as, as, as it means empty, oh, wow. light. Wow. And so it's possible, again, I have to say this, that even within um, card-carrying evangelical churches, you can have a form of idolatry going on where, where the weight of God, the, the, the true kapod uh, glory of God, is not felt. Uh, instead, there's a frothiness, there's a lightness. It's, well, basically, it's an entertainment form. Yes. Um, and I was sort of thinking about this before I came on, and it seems to me that in some of our churches, what you've got is a combination of Wall Street and Disneyland. <laughs> Wall Street in terms of the, okay, we, we, we manage things, we, we, we have our, uh, you know, our goals and, and objectives, and we've got the means to achieve it. On the other hand, you've got Disneyland, where it's all light and, and, and uh, fabricated. Yes. And those two coming together, and invariably, God is then displaced. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that's a brilliant way to put it, because we have replaced what we know of the Word of God with this methodology and with entertainment. I mean, we have a phrase over here, we talk about Jesus is my boyfriend music. Oh, and, you're joking. You know, no, I wish I were joking. It doesn't come over here, Janet. It doesn't come over to England. <laughs> but I, I reject it. I reject it. But oh, good. Yeah, good. yeah, that's I thought you would. That's good. I do reject it, but that's the problem, and it really is indicative of where we are as a church. It's not just you guys, it's also over here, and it's, it's very, very disturbing but there's a lot more to talk about. We do need to go to a very quick break. We'll come back with Reverend Melvin Tinker, A Lost God in a Lost World, his wonderful book. Stay with us. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her, most of the time in her heart she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. 
Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. My guest, Reverend Melvin Tinker from the UK, A Lost God and a Lost World is the name of his great book. And we've been discussing what has been happening to the church in the West, not just over in the UK, but also here in the United States. You were describing it, I think, extremely accurately as our situation being a combination of Wall Street and Disneyland. And I I fear for the church because at the very moment when we most need to be robust in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and intentional about spreading the gospel, we seem to be distracted by all of these other things. How do you rectify that as a minister? How do you address that with your congregation and with other Christians you meet? Okay, well, let me just explain our situation uh, here. Um, I'm uh, a minister of of a uh, and what's called an Anglican Church, Church of England, yes. in the city of Hull in Yorkshire. And Hull is famous for uh, producing William Wilberforce, who was um, uh, very much the sort of leading light in the abolition of the slave trade sure. in 1833. He gave 50 years of his life to that. And he was a, a prominent evangelical. And uh, not only was he concerned with the abolition of the slave trade, but also with the reformist society um, and he saw the only way that could happen is through a clear proclamation of the gospel. So on the one hand, uh, yes, he was very active in politics. He was in, active in, uh, in, in, in trying to um, improve uh, living conditions and the abolition of the slave trade and lots of other things. But he believed that the heart of it all, the only thing that could really change uh, a nation, was the proclamation of the gospel. And he was, uh, in many ways, an heir of uh, the evangelical awakening uh, or revival, as we call it over here, mm. uh, under people like George Whitfield and the Wesley Brothers. And bearing in mind our situation then, when uh, in, in, in England uh, in 1740, uh, you had a situation where one in four of the population of London was drunk all day. Mm. The consumption of spirits was 11 million gallons a year. Oh. It, we, we were on our knees. Then came... Uh, the revival with a clear proclamation of the gospel uh, and, and thousands and thousands converted and then society was changed. 
Now, our situation today in, in, in Hull is this, that uh, in our city, um, church attendance is 0.6%, 0.6%. And my friend, uh, Dr. Don Carson, says, well, that's actually the same as in Japan. That is how far we have sunk in our city and, mm. and our country. Wow. Now, as a church, we've bumped the trend. I've been here 20 years now, and uh, we started off fairly small. Now we're, we're 400 uh, plus about 100 children uh, on, a, on a Sunday. Great. And the reason that we've done it is nothing rocket science. We simply believe in, um, we have convictions regarding the truth of the gospel and the relevance of the gospel, uh, the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in God, taking that word is faithfully proclaimed as the Bible is expounded and, and applied to people's lives. And that's, that's it, really. Yes. <laughs> and yes. we just got to regain that evangelical conviction and not be sidetracked. That's right. And, and yet, one of the things we must overcome, I would say, at least here in the States, is a mindset. There is a mindset that has taken hold in a lot of evangelical settings that says, we'll use whatever we can to bring people in the door, and we'll use whatever methodology, whatever music. There doesn't even seem to be sometimes an agreement that there is something wrong. And when that situation occurs, how do you address that? If you have problems in the church where people say, what we're doing is perfectly fine, and since we have people coming well, in the door, we're healthy. Yeah. Well, um, a good friend who's, who lives over in the state, uh, Dr. Oz Guinness, you probably... Uh, oh, yes. Um, yes. Social critic. Sure. I mean, he, he sort of pinpointed the problem, um, particularly with the United States, but it's over here, too. And, and he said, you know, for a long time now in the States and in the church there, uh, the concern, will it work, is overshadowed, is it true? Right. So theology, theology has given way to technique. Know whom has faded before know how. And, and so I guess, uh, as far as I can see it, uh, the same over here, um, the key are the ministers, uh, the pastors. Yes. Um, and I guess behind them, the Bible colleges and the theological training colleges, if they themselves, uh, well, the two things here, they've themselves got to be convinced that we do God's work God's way, uh, regardless. The second thing, and this is where it comes down, I guess, to a lot of the, uh, what we call lay members, you, you know, your ordinary people in the pew, we've got to be less obsessed with statistics and numbers, more concerned with faithfulness rather than, if you like, success. And it's how you measure success. Uh, Jesus didn't uh, worry too much about numbers. You know, when after the feeding of the 5,000, they turned away, and he was left with a handful of disciples, and Peter said, well, and he says to Peter, are, are you going to go to? Right. Well, who else they, can they go to? And so we should be, I would hope that many of the lay leaders within the churches will, will encourage them to say, look, let's forget about the numbers. Let's forget about getting bottoms on pews, as it were, and be more concerned with truth regardless and faithfulness. Amen. Otherwise, if you're concerned with, with uh, statistics, you, you're going to be uh, uh, tempted and invariably you're going to give in to using whatever methods will bring in the crowd. Right. And, and we've got to resist it. It's worldliness. Amen. Amen. You've called it exactly what it is. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the, the dwindling nature of Christianity in the West. I mean, we don't want to say it's more dire than it is, but 
will yes, I? yeah <laughs> <laughs> but do you well, think the thing is, yeah go ahead um, america um has always has been for, for, for a long time now the lead nation um basically what we see happening over the other side of the pond um will happen over here sooner or later that's right. generally the trend sure in this case it's the reverse because um, in, 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 in Europe now um, and, and in Britain, um, there's been this gradual decline and uh, marginalization of the church, right. uh, which has been going on for about 200 years or so now. Um, and you're just catching up with that. Yes. It, it, it's just, you know, getting, getting to you. you. I think you're church attendance is still something like 40%. Ours is nowhere near that. Wow. But right. you're having to face these problems, um, and, and particularly thinking how you're going to you know, cope with the pressures that you're having to deal with now, where there is this pressure to, to push you know, Christianity out of the public sphere, yes. out of the public square. Um, and that's you know, and you've got the same issues that we have in terms of so-called gay marriage and, and the like. Right. Um, you know, this is this. You've got a lot more coming down the road, and unless the churches stand firm and say, "No, we are going to be true to God, to the truth, come what may, whatever price we will have to pay, we'll pay it because we want to honor the Lord." Amen. Yes, I agree with that, and I wonder in the final analysis if the Lord will use this marginalization to purify his church. It's not that people want to seek out persecution for persecution's sake, but you're right, we are facing those things. We're seeing the marginalization of Christians, this uh, colossal battle between so-called gay rights and religious freedom in the United States, and Christians are very concerned about it, but I think we may see a great falling away in the midst of it. Uh, I, th- I think so. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's a purification that goes on, so be it. Uh, and, and bearing in mind, you, you, you began the program by referring to uh, Revelation 3 and um, the risen Lord's um, address to the seven churches. Um, and, uh, and, and his address to those churches is still the address to, to the churches today, of course. It's all uh, it's timeless and it's, it's so relevant. Um, but basically, for most of those churches, the problem was a form of wilderness, either to capitulate to persecution from without or to seduction and error from within. Mm. And that's, the devil will use one of those two ways yes. to try and destroy the church. Sure. But God can also use that one of those two ways to purify the church, right. which, is, which is really what he wants. Well, that's right. And you've made such an, a great case here that we are to be faithful to scripture, to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust him with our lives. He went all the way to the cross for us, rose from the dead to redeem us. And we have to keep our eye on the prize as we as we see in scripture so often, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what our job is to be faithful. And I just love your book. I think it's such an important read for everybody. It's called The Lost God in a Lost World from Deception to Deliverance, a Plea for Authentic Christianity. Great timing, Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. It was wonderful to have you here, Reverend Tinker. God bless you. Thank you so much. And you too. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. I really appreciate your being with us. Wonderful book. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us as well. Hope you can join us over at our website. As always, we can be found at JanetMefford.com. 
This hour of Janet Meffer today was brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Thank you so much.